When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The great big battle from Euro 96 failed to live up to expectations as toothless England faced a brilliant Scottish side at Wembley 25 years on from the great clash at Euro 96. Czech Republic all but confirmed their last 16 place with a draw at their new home of Hampden Park against Croatia and Sweden, entertaining as ever, got the win they needed to all but book their place in the knockout stage. I'm Jake from What If Football, this is the Euro Daily Podcast episode 13 and... I'm sure there are some sore heads out there, as is mine on this beautifully crisp Saturday morning here in Yorkshire. You can catch this podcast on Acast, Amazon, Apple or Spotify. If you're on that those platforms, please give us a like, a subscribe, and if you're feeling extra generous, a five-star review, and it helps boost the algorithms, gives us a bit more exposure on the old podcast feed. We're also on Patreon, delivering this podcast every day up until... July the 12th, that is patreon.com forward slash whatifootball. And after the championships, we'll be having some seven days a week content, 50 weeks a year. Now let's get stuck in to what was a pretty drab day of European Championship football. And there's only one place where we can start, really, isn't there? It's England nil, Scotland nil at Wembley. Reese James and Luke Shaw at fullback were the only England changers. A signal of intent, I wrote there in the pre-match, and it didn't quite go that way, did it? And uh, as for Scotland, the fans' choices were realised by Steve Clark, Billy Gilmore was in, and Kieran Tierney came in for Scotland. You had Callum McGregor come into midfield, which saw Scott McTominay drop into defence, which saw only one of the three. Scottish centre-halves, naturally centre-halves, and that was Grant Hanley at the back, and Hanley had a superb game, shoring those two up either side of him. Scotland started hot, obviously. Lyndon Dykes barged Luke Shaw out of the way 10 seconds in in what was a, a bit of a marker, a bit of a sign of what was to come, really, at Wembley. Uh, che Adams had a shot block at, blocked, and Scotland pretty much laid down that marker on the Wembley turf there. They weren't here to just make up the numbers. English joy was mainly from set pieces early on. You had the Johnstones header, which crossed against, which crashed against the post. 
And obviously, if that goes in, that's a very different game, isn't it? But on the whole of it, England didn't deserve the uh, win there. It, ultimately, that would be the best chance of the entire game for England and for Scotland, really, the Stones header. Um, it was sim- had similar vibes of Foden hitting his shot against the post against Croatia, that early, early chance for England hitting a post. But unlike Croatia... England didn't capitalise on that, they didn't improve on that. You had uh, Scott McTominay, he was slightly sloppy in possession early on, he gifted Mason Mount a glorious chance and um, he could burst through through from the uh, three centre-halves and make Scotland fairly flexible in attack. But when he did so later on, he was far more more better in uh, possession, far more astute in uh, passing the ball, receiving the ball and uh, breaking from the centre-half. He was much better as the match wore on, really. Uh, Scotland... Didn't take much opportunity to attack in that manner, really. Um, Stephen O'Donnell, I thought, had a good game. He had uh, provided probably the closest Scotland came with that low drive. A lot of people were slagging him off, me included, really. (laughs) Didn't have a great game against Czech Republic, but he proved some of the doubt was wrong, really. Um, I was saying he might come come out for Nathan Patterson or even James Forrest, but I think he uh, acquitted himself very well against England here today. And... um, in terms of England, they were fair. There were some warning signs. They had um, the runs of Phil Foden and Raheem Sterling, but that was exactly England's problem. That was what they were limited to, runs off the uh, centre-half. So it was a good punt from Jordan Pickford and uh, Sterling got on the end of that. But it was just, that was as good as England got, really, and that's kind of an indictment on how they were playing. But even then... As the game wore on, as we got into the second half, the midfield of Scotland was dominating England's midfield. Rice was found kind of in there. But he was being outnumbered, he was being swamped because Che Adams would drop off and it would leave like a two-on-one against him, really. And it wasn't... They couldn't provide the same sort of dynamism as they could against Croatia in that first match. Rhys James provided devilish crosses at times. I thought he was quite good going forward, but invariably there's no one really on the end of it. Harry Kane, I thought, was absolutely nowhere, which um, is why he would come off first from the England lads. He, 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 he was dropping deep, obviously, as he always does these days. He didn't, um, he didn't look fit. He didn't have any influence. He, didn't have a chance on goal. I don't think he had 10 touches in the first half, which I think was the lowest in the entire entire England team. It's not a good sign that he couldn't last 90 minutes. As again, he could say that in the Croatia game that it was just a um, it was just him resting after playing a decent game and England winning. But him coming off for Rashford, it made England even more toothless going forward. There was no influence up front. I was Pretty disappointed not to see Jaden Sancho. I was pretty disappointed not to uh, see more substitutions, more attackers on for midfield. Say, for example, Calvin Phillips, who wasn't as influential um, in the midfield for England, but by no means England's worst player, really. But let's let's accentuate the positives for Scotland, really. Robertson and Kieran Tierney caused problems down the left. Pickford made um, good save off Stephen O'Donnell, who was bursting forward at times, and uh, that volley was a. Uh, was probably as uh, as good as was as good as uh, Scotland got really. They were Scotland was swamping England in the midfield and they were dominating them in a fairly attritional first half. And um, the question coming into the second half was how quick would Southgate change the change the lineup and how would uh, Scotland defend? Could they 
hold the fort for 90 minutes? Could Scotland get about England for 90 minutes? And the answer was, of course, yes. Mason Mount found himself in fairly dangerous positions, but not potent enough. And that was the story for most in an England shirt. Scotland were good from set pieces, as they uh, often are. Reese James clearing a, clearing a chance off the line, for example. Um, the fact that England had to change plan, it, it was an indictment on them. Billy Gilmore thought had a fantastic game. I think he was named man of the match, and uh, deservingly so. The defensive plan was fantastic. And going into their final game, they've got that little bit of momentum now. Whether or not it's a positive that they're back at Hamden, I'm not sure. Obviously, this is a one-off sort of thing really it's a big derby game they're going to get naturally going to get a bit more up for this they are they were the underdogs they are the underdogs again in the final game at Hamden but a return to Hamden after this game I think they'll uh, they'll, they'll have the wind behind and they'll they'll uh, definitely cause Croatia a lot of problems and we'll discuss Croatia later on I don't think Croatia looked all that great against Czech Republic if I'm being honest Che Adams will probably will he will occupy some dangerous positions against um, against Croatia Scotland will be more defensively solid as they were than they were against Czech Republic. Kieran Tierney brought that about them as well, which added them a little another dimension really going forward. And by the end of the game, England slowed down. Jack Grealish came on. He drew a few fouls. He was. It looked like he was scaring a couple of Scottish defenders. I think he got Stephen O'Donnell booked at one point. Um, but on the face of it, the play slowed right down. They just played in front of Scotland, and Scotland were happy to let them do that. I mean, you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah, they were, they weren't. England weren't intense, so Scotland could just sit back, watch them play the football that wasn't doing anything, and um, there wasn't any movement. There wasn't any, aside from the runs from Foden and Sterling. I don't think it was the right decision to take uh, Foden off, for example. He was one of the bright sparks for England. I think uh, Grealish coming off should have been in place of uh, Calvin Phillips because Declan Rice was. Uh, he was getting swamped in the midfield, but by the point that Grealish came on, Scotland had dropped deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And by that point, it was a it was a sit back, take a point, and anything else is a bonus, which is pretty much how Scotland's game plan went. And it was a a, a foolproof game plan, really, and it worked really. Um, I think an overhyping of the fixture led to a lack of quality in the game. It's always going to be an overhype of this fixture, really, England versus Scotland. A mirror of the result in the very first international game in 1872 here at 0-0, and it was 0-0 all the way back then as well, some uh, 150 years ago. And this just this game had hallmarks of a team trying to break another team down for a 0-0, but without the consistent pressure, without the uh, midfield battle won, Scotland won in all areas of the pitch. Lyndon Dykes was fantastic carrying the English defence. Che Adams was good at dropping into little pockets of space and causing Declan Rice tons and tons of problems. And um, the defence was fantastic. I thought Stephen O'Donnell bounced back fantastically. Billy Gilmore was superb. John McGinn, obviously, he had a lot resting on this game and I thought he played a lot better than what he did on Monday. Can Scotland qualify after this? Well, I think now they've got a good defensive base with Kieran Tierney back. And um, after watching the game against Czech Republic and watching Croatia play Czech Republic at hand, and I think Scotland can beat this Croatia team. If Croatia have ever been beatable in the past decade or so, it's definitely now. They'll need to be a bit more decisive going forward, but they do have more than enough. A win would see them through pretty much 
in third place, if it is to be third place. They may even they may even beat England to second place, who knows? And um Croatia might be a little bit too much. They did show they had a higher gear in the first fifteen minutes against Croatia in that in against uh, Czech Republic, sorry, in that second half. But with Hamden rocking all these intangibles, I think uh, I think Scotland have definitely got enough to qualify and it's gonna be definitely very, very tight at Hamden. I'll probably change my mind a few times between now and um now and Tuesday. And can England win it after this after this uh, setback? Well, no England team has ever won nine points from nine in the uh, European Championships group stages. Seven points was their highest in 1996 and 2012, which were both penalty defeats, as if that really matters anyway. But I feel fairly optimistic in terms of, not from the watching of the game, really. I feel optimistic in more of the intangibles, the gut feelings, so to speak. I feel as though this is a rare chance at a tournament to just give yourself a kick up the ass because they didn't play well. They know they've not played well. And now going into Czech Republic, there's a big chance now. You don't often get it at tournaments where you have where you know you've played bad and there's now a chance to go in a different direction. There's a chance to test out Grealish, Sancho, maybe dropping Henderson and Maguire for that leadership in the uh, spine of the team. There's definitely something there to... Give the team a refresh. I think Ben Chilwell might come in at left back as well. Uh, there might be another another uh, name at right back. Who knows? I think uh, I think Gareth Southgate seems to be rotating the fullbacks quite often now. Um, might see something different in the middle of the park. May even see Harry Kane drop off, but I, w- I wouldn't rest Harry Kane. I would because I think he needs the momentum. He needs the minutes, no matter how bad he's playing. And I think maybe either two runners beyond him or maybe an extra attacking midfielder perhaps obviously all these can't coexist in the same team but they're just ideas I'm not throwing at a wall here um, but uh, I don't think it's as bad as what people are saying I don't think Southgate should go by no means I'm not saying that um, this is the end of the world for England if England beat Czech Republic the, the momentum's back on their side they've got seven points from nine and then they go into what would be a very difficult last 16 tie admittedly People try to plot a pathway through the tournament if we finish second, which could be a, a better last 16. But also, if you get if you are going to plot that pathway, let's not forget if you win the last 16 tie against the second place in Group E, England do finish second. That means a quarterfinal is likely to be France. So, and it's pointless try to beat the easy teams and then end up with an even harder team earlier on than you otherwise would face them. You're going to have to play hard teams at some point. This is the European Championships, isn't it? And um, a win is all that's needed for against Czech Republic now to settle top spot. Czech Republic are a fantastic team, as we've already seen. They're all but qualified alongside England. And um, the game plan for me, the idea for me, the philosophy would be just win your games, get out of the group and uh, see what's what. England, let's not forget, with this point, they're all but qualified and... Um, Hopefully, with this setback, it's a good eye. It's a good time to refresh, to completely give the team a mini overhaul. And what is rare in tournament football, a good old uh, jolt into life. And now maybe we'll see a completely different, completely different England team. So, before I leave you on this uh, on this uh, break before the twenty twenty one trivial tees, I'll give you this. Uh, little statistic that might be optimistic. Only two 
European Championship winners have won all of their group games in the history of the tournament. That's France in 1984 and Spain in 2008. We'll be back after this short break with the 2021 Trivial Teaser. Welcome back. Three of you got a, got the correct answer yesterday on the on the teaser. So the answer was Goran Pandev. Unfortunately, Finners, you got Diego Melito. Of course, it has to be a Euro 2020 player. George went down the same route saying Gonzalo Higuain. But after I told him that it has to be a Euro 2020 player, he then went with Lorenzo Insigne. But it wasn't, of course. It was Goran Pandev, as Jake Collinson says. Has Pazza said. Both on a, an extreme run of form, those two lads. And Blyson, who also got the uh, got the correct answer there. We're dropping a little bit deeper now. We're not a we're not a forward. We are a midfielder today. I've been managed by Aitor Karanka and Lucien Favre. Some of my teammates have been Scott Hogan, Che Adams, Craig Gardner, Erling Haaland, and Mats Hummels. I am a central midfielder. Two of my managers have been Aitor Karanka and Lucien Favre. Five of my teammates, well, Scott Hogan, Che Adams, Craig Gardner, Erling Haaland and Mats Hummels. This is very easy. If you think you know the answer, <laughs> tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube like Jake, like Pazza, like Blyson did. After this short break, we'll be looking at the fantastic game that was Sweden versus Slovakia, Czech Republic against Croatia and the Roman Yaramchuk uh, Golden Boot train might be slowing down a little bit now. We'll also be previewing today's games from Group E and F. Welcome back and we go up north to Hamden Park and Zlatko Dalic brought in the likes of Josip Brekolo, Dejan Lovren in a 4-2-3-1 with Andrei Kramaric as a 10. But the Croatian public didn't get what they wanted with uh, Nikola Vlasic still on the bench, but he did come on again. Holesh came in for Czech Republic, keeping that 4-2-3-1 and um, coming in for Alex Kral. Vladimir Deridra I thought was fairly dangerous for... For uh, the Czech Republic early on, Yankto from the left was very, very good. Sufal on the right was very, very high, very, very offensive. And Czech Republic started the game very well. And Thomas Suchek, he gave a little bit of a warning sign early on from a corner. That is obviously his strength. Crosses are Czech Republic's strength as well. In what was pretty much an even, an even open, inspiring session by the two teams, Brekolo was a bit of a creative force for for Croatia and uh, Rebic came short a little bit which is a bit like Kane in the last game he wasn't fully effective lack of influence really and I'm not um, I wasn't keen on Rebic coming short and because there was no runners beyond him and it, it, just, it just didn't work I don't think Croatia in this double pivot I thought they had a little bit of a a little bit of a soft underbelly and Czech Republic were getting behind them quite often um, as he did in one instance, spraying the ball out to Sue Fall, and then he cut inside, cut cut the ball across the box, and Patrick Schick had a chance to lead the Golden Boot standings from open play, but he squandered that chance. Um, Masopust was a willing runner in behind. He would, uh, because Sue Fall was playing so high up from right back, Masopust would uh, play as an inside forward pretty much, and he was a he was a willing runner in behind. It was definitely an avenue for. Uh, for Czech Republic to go down and it was uh, quite fruitful. Um, Croatia, they were being a little bit cute with the corners, um, but it didn't come to fruition, really. Um, this didn't have the tactical intricacies of the previous game, which we'll talk of in a minute. Um, so there was slightly a lot a lot left to be desired in this game, really. 
Uh, but something shared between the two teams was that Czech Republic needed a point. They didn't look overly defensive. So in terms of Slovakia, they were defensive to an extreme, which obviously cost them in the end, which we'll discuss. Croatia weren't too desperate for a win. They knew that a point would probably maybe be enough if they could, if they could then go again and beat Scotland if they got that point. And everything in the first half, at least, looked so likely from a set piece. Um, and probably one of the surprising, let's say, refereeing decisions was the uh, penalty given for Diane Lovren's elbow. I mean, it does help that Patrick Schick was uh, bleeding, <laughs> bleeding buckets from his nose. That obviously helped. And um, Hamden didn't probably help the officials by showing it on the big screen afterwards. <laughs> but I think oh, it's one of them, isn't it? It's probably a free kick, but maybe it's not a penalty. But uh, that doesn't make any sense, does it? So maybe the referee was correct all along. Um, Schick with the... The fag end stuck up his nose. He's got a cigarette ends, really. If you're an American listener, that's what that means. Um, he stuck uh, those up his nose, bloodied nose, scored three goals now in two games at Hamden Park. And um, suddenly Croatia start playing. Ante Rebic immediately wasteful. Um, it certainly made the game interesting as uh, Patrick Schick stands alone now on three goals and leads the Golden Boot standings which uh, brings Roman Yaramchuk into play, doesn't it, in a couple of days' time on, the, on Monday's game with Austria. Croatia needed more width in this 4-2-3-1. And um, shout out to Daza on Twitter. He, he led me in the direction of um, World Cup runners-up don't do well at subsequent European Championship statistics. So here we go. Netherlands of 1970 became... Group stage exit in 1980, as did Germany in 1984, and Italy in 1996, Germany in 2004, France in 2008, and the Netherlands in 2012. All of those went out in the groups. The only one to get out of the groups was Germany in 1988, West Germany, as they were at the time. But even they ceded home advantage to the Netherlands in the semi-finals there. Obviously, it was an eight-team tournament, and um, they progressed through the group, but went out at the first knockout stage hurdle. So as a uh, measure to change things up in the second half, Dalic brought on Ivan Usic and Petkovic, and Petkovic was instantly more of a presence up top in this 4-2-3-1. And as it turned out, for Croatia, we just needed a piece of individual brilliance. Ivan Perisic cutting in top corner, and the way the, the, way the ball hit the net, it, the tension of it, it bounced straight back out, and it was beautiful, an absolutely stunning goal. And now Perisic has scored in four of the five tournaments he's played in with Euro 2012, the um, the outlier there. A lot has to also be said for the ingenuity behind the quick free kick to give Perisic the ball in the first place for the assist. And all, all around, it was just a fantastic goal. You, know, you see Petkovic was putting himself out a bit. He was a lot more of a presence. Meanwhile, on the other, other end of the pitch, you've got Yankto drifting out to the right, drifting in. He lays off Thomas Socek for a long shot. There are a lot more interplay. A lot more bodies forward for Croatia. But Czech Republic was still a danger. Yankto, I thought, was very, very key for Czech Republic. Nikola Vlasic would come on for Andrei Kramaric, what Croatia wanted for a while. Meanwhile, um, you've got Hlasek and uh, 
Alex Kral coming on for, to retain that 4-2-3-1 Yankta going out to the right. So there's a little bit of uh, shifting around. Vlasic had a good chance. He showed a little bit more impetus and uh, obviously Bruno Petkovic as well. But on the whole, not, it's probably the deserved result. It wasn't a classic of a game by any means, was it? And um, it leaves the group looking like this. Czech Republic are top on four points. England are second on four points. Croatia third on a point and Scotland also on a point dead last, but can qualify with a win, you'd hope, in the next game. So, of course, the winner plays second from Group F, which is France, Portugal or Germany. Probably Portugal or Germany based on the uh, first games, but we'll also be previewing those um, later on. Second place will play second from Group E, so that could be, at this stage, it's all up in the air. It could be any one of Sweden, Poland, Slovakia or Spain. Likely to be... Likely to be Sweden or Spain, you'd think, um, as Slovakia will probably finish third. Poland will probably finish last, depending on what they do in Seville today. And the third could play the winner of Group B, C or E. So that could be one of Belgium, Netherlands, Spain or Sweden going into the uh, last 16 there. Speaking of Sweden, we are going to St. Petersburg and maybe one of the worst games of the tournament. But I found it kind of interesting in terms of the uh, tactical intricacies which I uh, mentioned earlier so Sweden had an unchanged team but Dejan Kulazewski was on the bench, he wouldn't come on though um, after recovering from Covid-19 Hromada was out for Hrosovsky, Harlasin was out for Koshelnik but um, Koshelnik was definitely a, definitely a defensive ploy by Slovakia um, and Petkovic there uh, Tarkovic rather and um, they were definitely setting up shop to be defensive and get that point and get through to the last 16. Sweden had uh, good memories of St. Petersburg. It was the venue, same venue as their uh, last 16 win over Switzerland in the 2018 World Cup. And of course, Jana Andersson remained as the manager. So, Sebastian Larsson was drifting in from the right-hand side. Marek Hamstick was dropping deep and delivering early balls in. And it looked like it was going to be a nice exciting entertaining open affair um it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't and um for Kutska, Slovakia at least were fairly dangerous but they'd never really used him properly I don't feel um Sweden were pressing a lot higher in this game as expected but more importantly they're pressing a lot more intelligently intelligently they knew when to press and when not to and as I say Koselnik for Slovakia he was he was playing practically. He was on uh, any app you watched or looked at. It was he was playing right wing or right midfield, but he's a right back by trade. He was more a uh, right wing back in a sort of lopsided five-two-two-one out of possession because of the danger that Sweden have. Obviously, um, the right back there would tuck in a little bit, and uh, he also had. Augustinsson, who I, I thought was Sweden's best player on the day, he was pushing higher on Sweden's left, more of a more of a three-five-two lopsided kind of. Sebastian Larsson wasn't really tracking back in that right wing back role. He's more of a right midfielder, right winger. Augustinsson was getting nice balls into the box, um, but the runs weren't decisive enough in the middle. The onus was definitely on Sweden because a point was good enough for Slovakia. Meanwhile, a point especially with Poland to come for Sweden, they would definitely need a win to be uh, just to be safe going into that um, going into that final game. As I say, it was it was tactically very interesting, which probably covered up for the lack of quality in the match, really, from a technical standpoint. Forsberg was attempting to break the mould, but very little others were. They weren't trying to 
move. There was no little to no movement, especially from Alexander Rizak, which I was disappointed with in the first half. He would um, he would come back in the second half. Um, obviously, Andre Duda, he was pulling out wide again, one of his good qualities. But again, like Kuchka, it just wasn't used enough. Uh, Robert Mack, he was vacant as well for Slovakia. And the big players that were going to start this match, re-kick it up into another gear, Duda, Isak, Mack, Kuchka, they weren't utilised enough properly. And as the match wore on, I wrote in the 38th minute here, the more the match wore on, the more evident the winner was from a set piece. And, you know, if you want my lottery numbers... And of course, that's how it ended. Really, Duda was—he um, was sort of—he got into a bit, a bit more in the second half, but it was never enough. He fired wildly over the bar for, uh, for one example. Augur Stinson was put himself about a bit offensively for Sweden, and uh, Emil Forsberg, at least in the second half, was growing into the game, was showing a bit more glimpses that he could uh, provide these little cute balls over to uh, Alexander Isaac, and um, doing so more and more in the. Uh, in the second half, non-admittedly were coming off properly, but um, Forsberg was drifting in more centrally as the game wore on, as Augen Stinson bombed on. Forsberg was tucking in from that left uh, left midfield role in what would usually be a 4-4-2, as, as it was more like 3-5-2, really. Um, the fullbacks were combining. Mikhail Lustig at this point was uh, getting high up as well, um, forcing a good save off to Bravka. And Sweden, by the hour mark, was, uh, were fully grown into it, Slovakia, Dropping wildly deep, really. Yeah, um, they almost scored though through uh, the Hamshik Kuchka uh, free kick, but at the end, Robin Olsen was equalised. Was equal to it, and even that were offside. So I mean, it, it won't go down in the history as a chance, but that that's was was probably about as incisive as Slovakia got really. But Sweden by this point we're we're getting we're getting a bit more deadlier with their with their uh, build up play. Isak headed on from a corner onto Marcus Danielson and I've got him in my fantasy team and I leapt up six yards out but he headed it over the bar unfortunately but Isak he was getting more and more into the game he had a long range strike deflected uh, wide he had a superb run a tricky run all his skill and intelligence to make that run and it, it was it was begging for a goal at the end of it but it was just not coming unfortunately and um Victor Klass and Robin Kwaizan came on for uh, Christopher Olsen and Marcus Berg halfway through the second half. And from then on, the game was effectively attack versus defence. Slovakia were playing for the point. Horlasin came on for Pekarik at um, right-back. So Horlasin was uh, now more in a 4-2-3-1. But even that offensive move, it did absolutely nothing. There was the same pattern to play. Izak headed over just from a cross. He dropped deep. He had a fantastic run. Um, as I say, and um, this uh, brought about a low save from Dubravka. They were Sweden weren't banging the door down; they were lightly knocking. And finally, the breakthrough came when uh, Robin Kwaizan was found in behind the uh, the Slovakian defence, felled by Martin Dubravka. And the penalty, the third, obviously Patrick Schick would score the fourth uh, later on. But uh, Forsberg settled the game with a penalty. And as I as I uh, Predicted in the 38th minute on these notes, the game was settled by a set piece. So Slovakia got what they deserved. They played for a draw, got burnt and offered nothing going forward. Didn't attempt to get forward until 1-0 down. And by the end of it, the Swedish crowd was singing, oh, Yanni, 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 Yanni Anderson. And Sweden now topped the table going into Spain versus Poland in the next game. It doesn't change too much for Spain. They'll need to better Sweden's result here to go top. Um, Slovakia now are in a damage limitations really against Spain going into the uh, 
going into the last game, they need to try and get a point to uh, qualify. And of course, now Poland have it all to do today. If they lose, they are out. And we may as well, whilst we're here, preview Spain versus Poland. The best news that Spain could have hoped for is off the field, really. Or rather, on the field, so to speak. Weird. Um, the pitch is in a completely different state. Apparently, there's been rain in Seville, um, which the rain doesn't stay largely on the plane, does it? Uh, also, that's awful. Um, <laughs> the pitch is now being handled by the Madrid FA as opposed to the local FA that had it for the first game. And now it's, it's likely to be more up to scratch for Spain's possession play. I know it doesn't. It, it seems like a big excuse, but when Spain play this possession play, they need to zip it about, they need the speed, and obviously the lack of speed in the possession game leads to turgid, slow-passing football. And I think going into this game, rather than on the field um, changes, I think Spain are crying out for Gerard Moreno rather than Morata. If they don't create all these chances, they're going to need a deadlier, more incisive finisher. Morata is like a... What Andy Cole used to be called, he needs six or seven chances to got to score a goal. And if Spain don't create enough, he's not going to score, is he? Um, Jared Moreno is more incisive. I'd love Spain also to stick with Pedri. I thought he was their best player against Sweden. Uh, Sergio Busquets has uh, apparently recovered from COVID. Whether or not he returns to the, the 11 for today's game is anyone's guess, really. It might be more, more a uh, wait and see for the third game against uh, Slovakia. And Sweden, really, from the first game, have presented the game plan for Poland sit deep, let Spain play and if there is a, uh, a counter-attack, utilise it wisely and be incisive. You could have Lewandowski up top as the target man, Zielinski running off him and to me that's the only way that Poland get anything out of this game. They do need to get something. A draw would uh, set them up nicely for a for a potential win against Sweden in St. Petersburg next week. Um, they will have to come out and get something though, so there will be that jeopardy into this. Of course, they could sit back and play for a nil-nil as Sweden did. They can't now finish above Slovakia here, so a loss means elimination. A point would need them needing favours from Spain against Slovakia in Seville, which is more than likely, isn't it? So, so it's more than. It's not over for Poland, but they do they, they do need to get something, obviously. And going into Group F, we've got Hungary versus France, Portugal versus Germany. France, of course, still the favourites. I still expect them to sit in that four three one two. But if they go, if they don't, if they are to stray away from that tactical uh, tactical position, I do think this is the game to do it in more in four two three one with uh, Kingsley Coman coming in for. Uh, Rabio, but I think Rabio is under the radar as one of the more impressive, one of the more important French players. I think he makes them tick. There is um, there is a school of thinking that Corentin Taliso could come in as a defensive midfielder to, to uh, allow N'Golo Kante to be more of a box-to-box player. Now, obviously, people think he's uh, a Makalele role type player, but he's not. He's more, now, this season, just gone, he's been fantastic in the second half of the season. He's been more of a box-to-box player. He's fantastic at that for Chelsea. Um, he was more of that against, against Germany and Munich in the previous game and I think he should that should be his uh, his job there but in a 4-3-1-2 there's more there's more cover for Kante to do that anyway so I don't see Tolisso coming in Rabio, Pogba Kante will probably be the midfield three there I don't see Hungary having a chance um, they weren't too impressive against Portugal they held firm for quite a bit and obviously this game is obviously being played in the Puskas Arena the full Puskas Arena Um 
The key is to sit deep against this quick French team on the counter. The first goal incredibly, incredibly crucial. If France get it, they'll let Hungary play, as we've seen in the uh, first game against Germany. Because they'll sit, sit back, Hungary will have to get something. Um, if they've got a single chance of getting through this group, which is, you know, admittedly, admittedly very slim. My son's got Hungary in the sweepstakes, so I'm sure he'll be cheering them on. And if France get the first goal, it's pretty much game over as I see it. I can't see Hungary breaking France down. France won't want to attack. They'll just sit, sit, wait for Hungary to play out, hit on the counter, Mbappe, Benzema, et al. It's, that's, uh, that's pretty much the game plan, isn't it? That's what how France will play. Stoic, stoic and um, smart tournament football, that's pretty much what that is. Pragmatism. And that's what's going to win them the Euros, I believe. Anyway... Portugal versus Germany, the most important game of Group F, arguably. Germany, I thought, were better than expected against France. The system, I think, works for the mainstay. I don't think Kimmich should be playing right wing back. I think he should be playing midfield. But right back, admittedly, the options are thin on the ground. Klosterman is struggling for fitness. Maybe they could shift Matthias Ginter in there. Um... There are there will be calls to drop the three four three, but I, I do like it, especially offensively, especially on that left hand side with Robin Gerson's. I think he works a lot better in a three than a four. And to me, if I was Yogi Love, I'd just say sod it, whack all the Bayern lads in their favourite positions. So you got Kimmich. Um, maybe not. You can't. Maybe you can't play Goretzka. Maybe he's not fit enough. But get Kimmich in the middle of the park. Get Sané and Gnabry out wide. Get Muller in there, and just. Make it a make it a club vibe and capitalise on that club spirit. Portugal, I think, will still have to sit a lot deeper than in the Hungary game, but they do have tools on the counter, which make, make, makes me think they might start with Rafa Silva. He's very, very quick, very uh, sharp when he came on against Hungary, but then again, he could be an impact player, couldn't he, really? Um, they're more than apt, Portugal, are to sit in, take the point in point in Munich, which uh, could be advantageous going into the final game against Hungary, but uh, final game against France. But I don't know, but they might have to. Uh, this is it's kind of if they get a point, they they're pretty much through, aren't they? So if they just sit and get a point, will Germany be able to rack up a three goal win against uh, Hungary to take them above Portugal and into second? I am not too. Uh, too sure about that one. Maybe they'll uh, get a sneaky little win, uh, finish third, and then for all the uh, England talk about finishing top and playing Germany, that won't come true. But we'll uh, we'll have to see. Obviously, it's playing at Munich, and um, both the Group F games have English officials as well. And tomorrow we will be covering all those in great detail. We've less of a sore head, less of a hangover. So there might be a little bit more energy about tomorrow's show. But regardless, we'll be here, obviously. Acast, Spotify, Amazon, Apple. Leave us a like, subscribe, five-star review, etc., etc. All those uh, stereotypical things that people like me say. And uh, we're also on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whatifootball. And until, and until tomorrow, see the up the three lions again. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.